Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Chris. Uh, this week I'm joined by Gavin. And we are spoiling you yet again because we have another guest. And it's a really good one this week. It's a gentleman called Gary Witter. Hello. Hello, Gary. Gary Hello. is a games journalist turned screenwriter, turned comic book writer, turned game writer, turned book writer. Now I do a lot of turning, yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've done it all, though. I've done a bit. Yeah, it's, a bit. it's impressive. I'm quite old, so I've had time to do lots of things. And you're yeah. also pretty much the perfect guest because those are all the subjects we cover on this podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm like the IGN. Like if you <laughs> built good. like an IGN podcast robot, yeah, it'd, it'd, it'd be you. Be kind of like me, I suppose. If we were in America, you'd be our, the MVP. I like that. And yeah. you're now you now live in America. IGN MVP. Yes, and in fact, I'm very good friends with a lot of the IGN guys in uh, the US. Yeah. I actually I was there. I, I'm old enough to remember it's a bit like Grandpa Simpson telling all these old stories. <laughs> um, I remember when IGN was created, when it was oh, wow. Imagine Games Network. Mm. That's what the IGN originally stood for. Yeah, and I used yeah. to work for a, a company called Future Publishing, which they did in America. I was the editor of PC Gamer back many years ago. And yeah. Future became or, or launched an American version of itself called Imagine. Yeah. And Imagine Games Network was the was the online part of that. And oh, then wow. many years later, it's you know, obviously spun through different iterations. And IGN is now yeah. this big thing. And Future. But, um, yeah, I'm very friendly with a lot of, you know, uh, Greg Miller, who just left IGN, but mm-hmm. he's a good friend of mine, Naomi thanks, Kyle. Thanks and, for uh, bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I know that was not an easy decision for him because he loves IGN sure. so much, but he wanted yeah. to, you know, it's everyone's kind of doing their own thing yeah, these days. Yeah, and it's not, we've all stayed friends and he'll continue yeah. to do bits and pieces well, for Greg, us. Well, Greg, you know, who knows? I don't know if I, I, might not, I, I, I reevaluate my friendship with Greg on a daily basis. You never know. So I was going to kick off proceedings, Gary, by trying to, to give the listeners an insight into who you are. I want to know what your favourite game, film and TV show of all time are, if there's any chance you could pick one of each. It's really hard to pick just one of like that, isn't it? I mean, I do have like my top fives and things. Yeah. When I, I, I constantly reevaluate them. Interestingly, just this past week, I decided I, I my top five films, I move them around all the time. Yeah. Mm. There's a couple there that are just locks that never move, like The Empire Strikes Back will never, ever leave it. Yeah. That's always in there. Um, and then there's always ones that are kind of on the bubble. There's been a bit of uh, movement lately. Okay. I put Big Trouble in Little China in there last nice. year. Yeah. And uh, just this past year, it's funny, it's one of these films that doesn't get talked about enough, but whenever you mention it, people's eyes just light up because everyone recognizes what a great film it is. Master and Commander is one of my favorite films of all time. Well, yeah. I was not expecting that. No. It's, a tr- it, it's, it's my greatest regret as a film fan yeah. that I never saw it on the big screen. Right, okay. Because yeah. it came and went without any noise really yeah, and yeah. I didn't think to go and see it and then I saw it saw it years later on DVD and it just absolutely blew me away if you take mm. any one thing from this podcast <laughs> go and see my, you know go see Master and Commander with Russell Crowe it's an absolutely mm. fantastic film and I'm, de- I'm constantly looking to see like if it's ever going to like be brought back to the big screen like in a you know yeah. a revival or something because well, I would totally go and, and see it and it was supposed to be a franchise you know yeah. there's a bunch of books that it was well Patrick to- O'Brien wrote all these amazing books and they yeah. did the first film which I think combined a couple of the yeah. the first two books together and the idea was it it was going to be a big franchise but it didn't make enough money mm. um, and it, you know we, we live in an age now where we have, we have four Transformers films and only one Master and Commander so something's not right <laughs> so we got is that three you've listed there so I did Empire, Empire Big I Trouble. did Big Trouble and Master and Commander yeah. and then um, the other ones that moved Die Hard's always in there yep. um, and Raiders yeah nice okay you're a true you're good a true list. man of the 80s yeah um, I mean yeah. It, the, 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 and, the, and again there's others that keep moving around Back to the Future comes in and out Midnight yeah. Run comes in and out but you know I often you know myself and other screenwriter buddies often talk about like how close you can get to the idea of a perfect film yeah and Raiders and Back to the Future and um, Empire 
are often Jurassic Park I think is another one are yeah, often definitely. it's very very unless you want to be like the ultimate nitpicker and we are in a golden age of nitpickers these exactly, days with yeah. the internet um, it's very very hard to find any significant flaws with any of those films yeah. Yeah. so that's what we all aspire to is to make something that good well mm. the fact the fact you, you mentioned Empire it gives us a good excuse to talk about what your job has been for the last year so what, what have you been working on? Uh, I just got done working on what will be one of the new Star Wars films. Um, I worked on it for pretty much an entire year. And as I'm sure you will appreciate, there's very little I'm allowed to say <laughs> about any of it because they take secrecy. Yeah. Very, if you look at you know all the secrecy surrounding JJ's film, all of that applies mm. to the one I worked on and to all of them. See, that's why we should have got him drunk before starting the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I quit <laughs> drinking a few years ago. I mean, in a he doesn't drink. Yeah, I, uh, in, in, in anticipation of this, five yeah. years ago, I thought I might, work, I might write a Star Wars film one day and then go on a podcast <laughs> drunk. So I should probably st- stop drinking now yeah. so that that can never happen. Um, and look what happens. It worked out. Um, no, so I worked on it. it was, I, I mean, I will come back here uh, in, a year, in, in a couple of years, in December of 2016, yeah. when the film is out. And I'll happily tell you yep. all of my stories of adventures in a Excellent. galaxy far, far away. But this is Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards, mm. who directed, uh, who's another Brit. He's a, he's, he a, he's a boy from Nuneaton. He is, yeah. Uh, who directed a, a terrific little independent film that he wrote and directed called Monsters, which if you've mm. never seen it, see that. Really, really good. And then he made the uh, Godzilla, which you saw last year. Mm. And he and I worked together for about the last year on uh, on the Star Wars, uh, the first Star Wars standalone film, the one that will come out between episodes seven and eight. And I already feel like I'm veering into, like, even though all this stuff is, I get very nervous whenever I talk <laughs> sure. about it, especially to a microphone. Yes, yeah. it was brilliant. By, by far the most... Um, uh, rewarding and fun creative experience I've ever had like the 12 year old kid in me was just losing his shit like the whole time yeah. that I was doing it yeah and I as a, as a fan I like the fact that a man who's is one of his favourites if not his favourite film of all time is Empire Strikes Back is yeah. writing a Star Wars film that just sounds good to me yeah I agree I mean you know it's it was, it was one of those things where you're constantly pinching yourself because I mean it's, it's true of a whole generation of filmmakers that um, the, the original trilogy of those films I think inspired literally like I said an entire generation of, of so many great yeah. filmmakers will tell you that Star Wars is the film that made them want to be a filmmaker uh, it's, it's just this monumental edifice in popular culture mm. so to get to you know contribute a small piece to mm. the legacy of that is just mad and yeah. uh, it was very nerve wracking but also just like I said, I'll come back another day and I'll tell you. <laughs> I will tell you stories and, and show you pictures. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. I'm um, um, just well. The last one on that su- on that subject. How does the film end that you've written then? <laughs> uh, with the credits. Ah, yeah. very good, very good. Uh, so have we got a game or a TV show that springs to mind? TV show. It's hard, isn't it? Because you know you're always comparing like the stuff that's around. That's in your like Breaking Bad is the best show I've seen in the last ten years. I know that. Mm. Uh, but in terms of like what what meant a lot to me when I grew up, I mean like the original Star Trek was incredibly important to me. That's another one that I would put in the list of like if you make a list of what what are the things that made you want to be a writer. Yeah, the original Star Trek, and it really really bums me out that Star Trek is not. I think it's a crime anytime Star Trek's not on television. It should <laughs> be constantly on television. Like there should always be a version of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, on TV, and it kind of bums me out a little bit that's been that Star Trek has now become just a big blockbuster action movie franchise. Because yeah. I don't ever think that's what really what it was meant to be. I think it was that was meant to be like about exploration and mm. big science fiction ideas. You go back to the original Star Trek show, and it was written by like the great science fiction writers of the time. Mm. Yeah, and they had th- episodes that were about like really, you know, what science fiction is supposed to make you think about real stuff and have yeah. a message. The original Star Trek did that brilliantly. 
Um, and I enjoy the new Star Trek films, but I think they've basically just become yeah. kind of more generic action blockbusters that happen to be set on the USS Enterprise. Yeah. It sounds like with this third one, they might be trying to get back more to the roots of Star Trek. I think the original idea was like grab them with big explosive exactly, action, yeah. build the audience, and then maybe kind of do some more Star Trek y yeah. stuff. So, well, that's I, what it sort of felt like at the end of the first one. They said, you know, they were going off to go on these new adventures, and then they. Yeah, they finally on. get to the five year mission at the end of the of the second film. So let's exactly, hope that, yeah. that, they, that they go and yeah. do some of those well, things. Well, I'll do just a quick segue here because we'll, this is an email that we've received, and I was going to save it till the end of the show, but. Um, it's from Harry Riat, and he's talking about that. We talked about what TV shows we'd like to see come back. Yeah. Um, because of the X Files potentially coming back. And he said, I would personally like to see a quality Star Trek show, and was surprised it wasn't on your podcast list. It's been far too long since The Next Generation and Voyager. The storytelling on those shows was excellent and always kept me engaged. The last attempt, Enterprise, was a little weak, as I think there was little appeal in seeing the early days of the Enterprise with stripped back technology and a smaller crew. But imagine the likes of Brian Cranston, Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, or Billy Bob Thornton in the roles of captains. <laughs> a couple of more interesting choices would be the excellent Martin Freeman, who has blown me away with his performance in Fargo, and perhaps James Spader. A female captain would be good too, but I can't think of any right now. Oh, come on. And that's the end of his email. But, um... Not so, only not only do I find that somewhat sexist, yeah. it's actually it's actually a little bit speciesist as well. I've always had this I've always had this weird theory that Star Trek is slightly racist mm. in that it's racist towards all the other species. It 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 it, it takes all, all the non-human species and puts them in very stereotypical boxes. Like okay, well the Klingons, well they're all just warlike. Mm. Well the Ferengi, they're just greedy. The Vulcans, they're just very cold and logical and they and they create these like very basic stereotypes. That's a really good not, point. None, none of the none of the Star Trek races are like nuanced and layered in the mm. ways that you think of like yeah. there's no one like okay, well what are humans like? Well there's no simple answer to that. They're all they're all they're all yeah. different kinds of humans. Um but there's only one kind of Klingon, which yeah. I think really again is a little bit racist. And we talk about oh let's have a black captain, we've done that. That's brilliant. Mm. Let's have a female captain, we've done that. When are they gonna have a non human captain? That's why, a really why good is point. that in a in what's supposed to be kind of this incredibly inclusive yeah. Federation future where you know, all the races are kind of pulling together and yeah. going towards this utopian Roddenberry type ideal. Why is it so difficult for us to the idea of an alien? Yeah, captain? and all the time that anytime you have like the you know the Klingon on the ship, they're always trying to be more human as well. So like, and if you have a Ferengi, they're always trying to be more human. They all need like a really really small yeah, part he's of like this an human. Out, he's like an exactly, outlier. Yeah, I had this idea of the. It kind of bugged me a little bit. I think it was a very brave decision, but it bugged me slightly that in mm. the in the first new Star Trek film they destroyed Vulcan. Yeah, but I oh, spoiler sorry. If you haven't seen it, it's your fault. You've yeah. seen it by it's now. Long um, yeah, the statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. But I felt like that could have. That, I thought that would have led into a really interesting new TV show where, like, I would like to have seen like a Vulcan ship whose job it was to go and find a new homeworld. Yeah. And yeah. then in the second one, they just say, oh, how's things going on New Vulcan? Oh, well, I yeah. guess they found a new home one. But there could have been an interesting show there. But you would never get that through a Hollywood system because someone's going to say people won't watch non-human yeah. characters, which yeah. I think is nonsense. You could have called yeah. it logical. Star Trek logical. Oh, yeah. I'd watch that. I just feel bad that Harry can't think of a single female captain, even though he thinks it's a good idea. He just can't think, can't of, think any. of any. Can't think of a single what about, one. What about Helen Mirren? Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton would be amazing. I've just done two right there. Yeah. Have you took seen Snow Literally took us two seconds. Yeah, she's she, mad, isn't it? She's incredible. She's like on a space that, yeah. age Hilda Ogden, which yeah. is like kind of crazy. <laughs> I love it. I love her. She's she's one of, she's one of those actresses where like I don't care what I don't need to know anything else. Like yeah. okay, so what's the movie? Well, Tilda. Okay, that's it. I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I, you can stop there. Tilda Swinton. I'm and I wonder what film she's been in that I've not recognised her because she's so unrecognisable mm -hmm. in so many roles. She's incredible. Yeah. 
She's oh, great. Let's get her as a captain, definitely. Well, can Harry, you imagine her as a captain? Well, Harry can't. I would, I would, I would actually make her the female Vulcan captain of the show that I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah really Winter, as the female Vulcan of a, a captain of a, of a of a Vulcan ship or a Federation ship, yeah. whose job it is to seek out, not seek out new worlds. But seek out a new world yeah. for the for the Vulcan people, and she could be in it for a long time because she's not aging. I no, don't yeah. know if you've noticed. No, she's in. She's right. in she her actually, late I think she's actually living a Vulcan lifespan, which is <laughs> about two hundred and fifty years. Has anyone checked her ears? She's doing very well for um, herself. And finally, games. You, mm. you, you started out in games. Mm. So what? I don't know. What's the seminal game of your lifetime? Which is oh, bloody gaming's hell. lifetime. That's also, as well, like you know, obviously you started out as a games journalist. I started out in future publishing as well. Like how? Has it changed? Like, how have you watched games journalism, like, change over the past few years since um, you started? I mean, I've been out of games journalism now for nearly 15 years, so okay. I've been very much kind of on the sidelines. Yeah. I started in 1988 on a magazine called Commodore User, reviewing Commodore 64 and Amiga games. Mm. And I was in the business up until the end of the millennium, like 2000, I think I left. I was the editor-in-chief of PC Gamer. Yeah. And so I worked, on, I worked through the 8-bit um, uh, era... Uh, the 16-bit era, and then into what is now kind of the next, you know, the constant kind of recycling of next-gen yeah. technology and the PC, which has been the one constant. Um, I don't know how much, I think journalism's actually become a lot better in the sense that if you look at the quality of reporting and think pieces and like really, like back in the day when I was starting a magazine, game magazines were basically just catalogs. Yeah. Like here are the new games that are coming out. Here are some previews. They here have are good some graphics. Reviews. Yeah, have excellent graphics, <laughs> excellent value for money, two thumbs up. Um, and that was, but those were just guides to the, the and, but as the games have become more sophisticated yeah. and more challenging, especially with what's happening, you know, in the indie game scene where games are actually about things. Games yeah. have matured. Games journalism, I think, has been forced to mature along with it and as the games have become more sophisticated criticism has, have to, has had to become more mm. sophisticated so I, I mean there, there are people that I enjoy reading tremendously like again back in the day all you could read was like game reviews and now you can read like really interesting pieces about about the culture of games yeah, that I think are you know I, I think the whole thing is a lot more mature and I'm actually kind of glad that I'm not in it anymore because I don't think I, don't think I could play at that level <laughs> like, it was actually much easier for me when I was just like putting together ga you know, ga game reviews and yeah. on PC Gamer we tried to do some interesting Features and stuff. I was around mm. when um, when Edge magazine first. I think was one of the first magazines to really try and do something more yeah. um, mature and talk about games in a, in a more grown up way. And now everyone's at it, and I think yeah. that's and I think that's great. I think that, that gaming is still very much in kind of the silent movie era mm. of yeah. its of its life cycle. Okay, yeah. um, we're still figuring out like how to tell interesting stories in video games. Mm. I think, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back at what we have now and go, in the same way that you look back at like the Atari 20th century now, can, we, can you believe we ever played that? Yeah. You'll be looking back in 20 years at like Uncharted 4 and yeah. going, can you believe we ever thought that was impressive? And that's really exciting to think about that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so it's, it's been fascinating to see both the evolution, not just of the medium itself, but of the criticism around it, because both have, as one matures, the other is forced to mature with it. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. But favorite games, again, it's another one. It's like the ones that I grew up on when I was a kid, um, there's a Commodore 64 game called Paradroid, which is my, one of my all-time favorite games, and it's yeah. desperately, desperately in need of like a big 3D Unreal Engine remake. They'd awesome, totally yeah. do it. It'd be really cool. Of this, of this like last generation, probably my favorite game. I mean, you know, the, the games that I've sunk the most time into, like the big AAA titles, yeah, uh, Mass Effect. The Red Dead games, you know, all the kind of. The, I'm not going to come like come out of left field with anything here, yeah, yeah. Except to say that, and this is the only controversial thing I would say. My favorite favorite game of the last ten years was Journey. 
Okay. I think it was the, it was the, you know, I was very, very glad to see that it won every game of the year award. That yeah, no, year. it's fantastic. It's yeah. absolutely like it's as close. I think it's as close to genuine actual arts as games have ever ever come yeah i played that i didn't know what to expect going in but a friend of mine just said do this yeah it only takes two hours to play unplug the phone turn all the lights off don't be interrupted just mm. play it for two hours solid and don't like save and come back just go all the just way through it, yeah. in one two-hour session and i did and at the end i mean we will play it right? we will play it to the end yeah. it was just so emotionally affecting and i really looked like a game it was a game that moved me in a way that i didn't think yeah. it was possible for that Definitely, medium yeah. to do i was just emotionally touched by brothers the taylor two sons i think did it yeah, had a similar effect on me and i think that's where we're going we're going towards games that are not just increasingly fun to play which used to be the only thing we cared about yeah but now it's again we're, we're judging games the same way that we judge more mature mediums like literature and films and television mm. like how does what does this say what does this say to us how does it make us think about our lives and the world around us how does it emotionally move us we never used to care about that with videos yeah. now we do and i think that's a really great sign of how that how this medium has matured yeah we haven't matured at all, but <laughs> the games have. It, it's, yeah. it was a suggestion of what the potential of games could be if you're not just going to go down this linear path of yeah. shoot 'em ups, football games. You know, it was yeah, and like, again, there's still a place for that. There's still a place for like just turn your brain yeah. off and shoot things and kick a ball around. Mm. No one's no one's ever expecting the, the new FIFA game to emotionally move us, mm. but the fact that there is now a whole new. It's interesting how it's talk about how things have changed. It's really interesting how it's been really cyclical. When I started. Again, I wore an onion on my belt, which was the sight the style at the time. I am very much a grandpa Simpson in this conversation. Um, games were predominantly made by one person, literally in a bedroom. There's yeah. a really, I mean, there's a really interesting documentary that came out last year called "From Bedrooms to Billions." I saw that. Yeah, it was about this whole, you know, this world of like people like Andrew Braybrook and Matthew Smith who created yeah. the great games of the time. And it was literally one person who knew assembly language who sat with their computer and made a game hmm. and put it on a cassette tape and sold it to whoever and. Uh, it was one guy created by this one person because yeah. games were small enough. They were created in like 16 or 48K that one person could create the entire thing. Now, games are created by 250-person teams and have $100 million budgets. And so it, uh, over time, it became less and less about the one really smart guy yeah. who could create something genius and put it out there with a vision. And it became more it became more like Hollywood movies with these mm. big mega productions. And those games are great. But I always kind of felt bad that the kind of the one man, the kind of auteur went away. Yeah. But now it's coming back. Definitely, with, you know, yeah. Independent gaming has become a big deal. You've got people like Jonathan Blow and I guess not anymore, but for a while, Phil Fish. Phil Fish and yeah. He's really smart. And look at Notch. Notch is the perfect example. Like one, literally one guy in his bedroom who created something that became a, a, a global sensation. Yeah. You've seen the house he lives in now? It's ridiculous. So yeah. it, it has kind of come back around. And now I think it is a little bit similar to the to the to the Hollywood movie world in that yeah. you've got these big what we think of as like triple A movies like Star Wars and you know JJ Abrams films and you know big blockbusters. Yeah. But there's also a really vibrant, interesting independent film scene, smaller budgets, smaller teams, where you can do things that are more daring and interesting because you don't have to worry about Definitely, you know finding yeah. a big audience. Yeah. Um, and it's similar to now what we have. We have you have your Uncharted's and your Last of Us and your Mass Effect and your Red Dead's and those mega games, mm. Destiny, what have you. But you've also got um, Spelunky and yeah. Braid and yeah. Journey and Limbo and these and really, really and you know Papers Please and these mm. games that actually are again because they don't because they have smaller budgets and they don't have to worry about uh, recouping massive course, development yeah, yeah. costs they can try to do more interesting and daring things and I think that a lot of AAA developers look at what the independent developers do yeah. the risks they're taking and are are inspired by that and the independent uh, scene I think is also helping move the big AAA development world towards more mature and more interesting stuff definitely yeah. Cool. So uh, we normally talk about what we've been up to. Have you done, seen, watched, 
been anywhere, Gav, of any interest? Because I haven't done much. Other than the Super Bowl, no. Okay, well, we're going to come to that. Yeah. Uh, what, Gary, you've been over in the UK for a month. Yes. So what have you done in that month? Yeah, so the fact that I'm here, this is me being away. This is me yeah. on an adventure, even though I'm originally from England. I've lived in America for 20 years, so my accent's kind of gone all mm. over the shop. Uh, but it's I've kind been, of Australian. Like Don't say little. that's the worst thing you can say to me. I apologise to any Australian. Uh, uh, but I, I, I was I'm originally from the East End, and I used yeah. to sound like someone from Albert Square. And then I moved um, to America, and you I picked up this weird accent. Anyway, so I've lived there for 20 years, yeah. and uh, this is actually the longest I've ever been back. I've been here for a whole month. Mm. I came here literally to kind of finish off on Star Wars because the whole production's moved to Pinewood now. They're it's in, amazing. Yeah, they're kind of ramping up to shoot that film. Um, and then the rest of my time here has really just basically been holiday because I've worked so... Like, I had my head down on Star Wars for the best part of a year for so long that just uh, completely to, to, to the to the you know exclusion of everything else. Uh, and my wife would tell you what a misery I've been to live with for the past year. <laughs> so it was actually nice to have a bit of a holiday and to come back to where I'm from. Like I said, I was born yeah. and raised in London uh, to be here. And fortunate also to do some fun stuff. So I got to go to the premiere of uh, Kingsman, yeah, we Secret were both, Service. we were both at Kingsman Secret Service. Uh, we both enjoyed it, it's fair to say. I enjoyed it tremendously. I, I, well, I mean, I'm obviously biased. Because I was going to say, doing... you had a better reason to be at the premiere than me. So what was your reason? It was for? actually really interesting. So I'm doing, so the next project that I'm doing, I'm literally starting it next week when I go back to San Francisco, is yeah. Mark Miller's uh, next film. So Mark, obviously, as people know, did Kick-Ass and Wanted and now Kingsman of the Secret Service. And he has mm. this incredible track record of creating comic books which become movies. I yeah. don't think he has a single comic book that isn't actually like set up to be a movie somewhere. It's incredible what They're he's done. They're even basing um, Avengers Civil War on his Avengers. That's right, yeah. so Civil War. Mark, so, so apparently the heli, he came up with the helicarrier and all kinds of stuff that is now very cool. in and the Avengers yeah. world. And Fantastic Four is largely based on his on ultimate. His, his yeah. version yeah. of Fantastic yeah. Four. Mm. So uh, Mark's obviously a, a titanic figure in comics um, you know, through his con- contribution to the Marvel Universe and now his original stuff. So uh, he has a book that's, that has been out, and I think the graphic novel, like the trade version, is just coming out now called yeah. Starlight. And Starlight is basically what would happen if Flash Gordon got old. So, you know, this character, this, this astronaut goes into space and gets sucked through a black hole, has this amazing um, adventure, Flash Gordon adventure, saves the galaxy. But when he comes back to Earth, no one believes that he did any of that. He's got no <laughs> proof. And he becomes kind of a bit, of a bit of a laughing stock, and he gets old and becomes kind of bitter about the fact that no one ever appreciated what he did. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, the spaceship lands in the back garden, and some, an alien gets out and says, "We need you to come back because our planet's been taken over again, and you were the guy that saved us before." But he's old now. But now he's like thirty years older and thirty pounds yeah. heavier, and like you know, the suit doesn't fit anymore. He That's has to take pills for yeah. his back. So it's kind of fun, you know. It's it, it, why like what I love about Mark is that all of his stories are great popcorn entertainment on the surface, but underneath mm. they all have something to say like Kingsman is like like, you know can you take a chav and turn him into James Bond Mm. is a hilarious idea and you can see the potential of the film and my my one takeaway from it which I loved is that it's 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 very much like the kind of James Bond film that you wish they still made Mm. but they don't I mean the new ones are great but we all like kind of the camp craziness of the old Connery and Roger Moore films and that's basically what they recaptured so on the surface that's what it is and it's a lot of fun Mm. but what it's really about I think is the class struggle in England and the idea of social mobility there's a great moment in it where Taron Egerton the kid who plays like the kid from the council estate says to Colin Firth I'm just as if I'd have been born with the same silver spoon that you had, I would have been just as good as you, if not better. But I, you know, society never gave me that opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, especially in England where there is that idea of definitely, yeah. You know, these different kind of class tiers. I think I felt like the film had something to say. So it worked out very um, brilliantly for me in that I was here in London, uh, just kind of like bobbing about, looking for things to do. I was on holiday. 
And Mark said, do you want to come to the premiere of Kingsman? It's next week. I'm like, brilliant. I'm like, my hotel's just down the road from Leicester Square. So we went and I got to meet Mark and hang out with him and saw the film. I said, the film's tremendous fun. Yeah. And then literally the next day kind of sat together with Mark's Starlight comics, like two kids having a comic swap. Yeah. And kind of talked about what we th- what we think the movie's going to be. So that's really exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait to see it. Mm. And by the time this goes out, we'll have a video on the site with me and Mark discussing who should play okay. Duke McQueen. Duke McQueen is the, the is the character is the lead character and he's like a, a, a cross between Neil Armstrong and Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. And Flash Gordon, I suppose, because yeah. it is very much Mark's tribute to Flash Gordon. Who does Mark want to play? Or do you want, <laughs> want to give that away? Um, no, he talks about it in the interview, which is on there. He's saying how difficult this is because yeah. whoever gets cast, once they could go back and look at this interview and go, oh, you went, you, we talked about these six actors and none of them were me. Yeah. But he, um, him and his artist originally uh, talked about him being a little bit like Liam Neeson. Okay. Although I think Liam Neeson's a bit young because this guy's supposed to be slightly past it, whereas Liam Neeson doesn't feel like he's past it at no, all at the moment. Yeah. It's very interesting because, um, you know, when I went into 20th Century Fox and pitched for the job, I said to them, you know, if you're going to do this right, you need to embrace the idea that this is an older guy. The whole yeah. point of the story is yeah. about getting older mm. and kind of, and also kind of recapturing your youth. Um, but that only works if you cast someone who is legitimately at that age. Like That's yeah. very hard to fake. You can't yeah. just, like, put a grey wig on someone. Yeah. Um, or put some old age makeup on them. People are going to know if it's like Bradley Cooper in prosthetic makeup. Exactly, like, yeah. And so you want someone that kind of legitimately kind of feels their age. It doesn't really can I just say, it's so, it's so much of a relief to go from a project where for a year I was literally, and still am literally allowed to say pretty much nothing, <laughs> to this where you can actually go buy the comic of Starlight right now and yeah. read the whole story. Yeah, like, yeah, I can't yeah. really spoil too much because it's, all in there, it's based yeah. on the comic. And uh, as you know, Mark is very big on just, yeah, you know, go out and promote it. So yeah. it's a bit, bit very refreshing change of pace for me. And um, like I said, I hope that they, they, will, they will find someone for the role that is appropriate for it and it isn't like some kind of well, we've, mocked, we've mocked up some posters as well, which okay. will be on the site. Uh, oh, the have actors you? that we talked about, yeah, Kurt, I think Kurt Douglas, we mocked up one with him. Oh, so that kind of age, yeah. Well, no, maybe not quite that <laughs> old. I only brought that one up with Mark because when I was reading it, I was seeing a younger Kirk Douglas. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but not, not now, but Michael Douglas, yeah, we like talked about. Yeah, if Clint Eastwood was 20 years younger, yeah, yeah that's perfect. It. Yeah. Because um, you want some, the idea is that, the, that this character, like like Flash Gordon, like Neil Armstrong, mm. whatever, is kind of an American icon. So the idea of like finding an actor, yeah, who also is that in themselves, yeah, um, would be great. Because he said Schwarzenegger's come up in conversations, but he feels like it should be someone yeah. more all American. Although you can't get more all American than Schwarzenegger, but he's not American. Yeah. So yes, he's the most American non-American. <laughs> yeah. He's he's the epitome of the American dream. He just happens yeah. to be from yeah. a foreign country. I think everyone who is the epitome, epitome yeah. of the American dream is from a foreign country because that was the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Godfather. Um, that's a bad example. Um, but you're also... Yeah, uh, Scarface. Yeah. There you go. This is the American that's a good, dream. That's a American dream. Um, but you're also um, talking about your first ever novel as well, Abomination. Yeah. So um, as I said to you before, I would happily just be here just to podcast and have fun because I like to podcast. And yeah. I, I do the... Um, the Tested.com podcast okay. a lot in the United States. Uh, and again, didn't get to do it much of any much of anything for the past year because I've been so busy working on other things. Um, so I would happily just come here just to have fun. Yeah. Uh, but it does, I do have also some, have something to plug. So the thank timing, you very much. The timing is good. So um, what is it? What t- I'm going to keep it really, really short because this is, the, this is the, like the plug part. I don't want to bore yeah. anyone, but um, I wanted to try and do something. So, I, you know, I've obviously written a bunch of movies, wrote the book of Eli, wrote, uh, co-wrote, can't stress that enough, After Earth. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, I literally cannot stress that enough. <laughs> and now, um, 
<laughs> and now worked on on Star Wars, and I'm doing Starlight. So my day job is as a screenwriter, mm. but I wanted to try and do something different. Um, and I, I tried writing a, but I wanted to do a kind of a fantasy uh, thing. And I didn't know if it would be a commercial thing as a movie. Original films are really, really hard yeah. to get made in this business. Everything has to be a franchise. Everything has to be an adaptation. There are still people to this day that come up to me and ask me what the book of Eli was based on. And when I tell them it was just an original idea, I think I vaguely did that to you on Friday. They don't quite understand. Well, I, I remember at Comic Con when we announced it. Um, I'm still not sure you're telling the truth. No, go check it. Um, when when we when when we showed the first trailer at Comic Con, I remember mm. it was like one of the big Hall H things where it was part of a Warner Brothers presentation of like oh, seven cool. different films, and it was sort of like the uh, Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey Sherlock Holmes was was a big thing that year. Um, uh, a bunch of like uh, I think um, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, one right. of the Spider Man films, maybe. Um, no, not Spider-Man, but one of the, some comic book thing. Yeah. And Eli, and of the seven films that they showed, Eli was the only one that wasn't based on something else. It was an original film. And so this is, this is the culture that we've created now. We literally had like a, a, a kid come up and on the microphone, you know, when they're asking the panel hmm. questions, how, what, was, what were the challenges in adapting the comic book into the book of Eli and the director had to say there was no comic but this is an original script and you can see people in the, in the, in the, in the audience going, going what? <laughs> it's original script so that I mean that's the culture yeah. we've created where everything is obviously you know we live in a world of like Marvel and Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter and yeah. Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and everything's a big pre-existing property I mean like outside of like Chris Nolan and a, and, and a handful of other people it's very very hard to like find like great original movies especially at that kind of triple a level yeah. that are being made it just doesn't happen in hollywood anymore and that's a little bit depressing um and so rather than try and write this idea as a film which yeah. you know it's always an uphill struggle trying to get a film an original film made especially the way i can i typically write films they tend to be they're going to cost a lot of money big special effects and stuff like that yeah. so i thought well i'll just write this one as a book it's really really it's the thing that i discovered and it's kind of revelatory to me when you write a screenplay for a film you're not writing the finished product that the audience will see you're writing the blueprint for what you hope hundreds of other people will spend millions and millions of dollars turning into yeah the final finished product that the audience will ultimately see um and i've had mixed res mixed results with that uh the book of eli you know whether you like it or not that's the film that was that's the film that i wrote and they pretty yeah. much shot the script that i wrote and i look at it and i'm very proud of it as well wow, that was like that's i remember thinking at the beginning that's the one that i get yeah like that's it that's, <laughs> that's i played my one. i played my joker really early they actually <laughs> shot the film that i wrote because yeah. as a writer you don't really have any control or equity once you sign the script over they own it they can do whatever they can fire you they can mm. replace you they can rewrite you they can do whatever they want and the film that comes out at the other end it's really kind of a crapshoot is it going to be what I originally intended? Yeah. And with Eli, it was. With After Earth, not so much. Okay. Well, that wasn't my original idea, but the film is it went a, changed a lot from the from the draft of the screenplay that I wrote. Um, and you know, with Star Wars, we'll see. And with everything else that I do, it's the same. Every writer will, t every screenwriter will tell you the same story, and it can yeah. often be frustrating. And it's particularly frustrating when it's something that you create yourself because that feels like your baby. But then you kind of have to give your baby up to someone else and let them raise it and, and turn it into the yeah. finished thing and you don't know what's going to come back at the end so this that's is hard especially with something like Star Wars where you think you, you know you spend a year of your life on it and then you have no idea what's coming well, back well but you're also but you're also very aware of the fact that that is someone else's property that you're just very privileged mm, to even be so, yeah. allowed you know to work on and yeah. I imagine they're paying you well for it that, yeah. that privilege as well um 
But like I said, it's it's tougher when you create something of your own, and mm. I I generally prefer not again with something like Star Wars obviously you're going to make an exception uh, but I prefer not to work on other people's stuff and try to create my own original things yeah. like Mark Miller has been very successful I, I think Mark uh, the, uh, the, uh, so even though he was like tremendously expen- uh, tremendously well expensive I'm sure as well but tremendously uh, oh. successful Marvel writer yeah. um, decided that he just didn't want to work on other people's characters anymore and wanted to create his own characters that he yeah. owned and went off and, and was very successful at that so I try to do that. I try to create my own stuff and um, was got very lucky once. Don't necessarily know if I will be again. So for this next idea that I had, I thought, well, rather than write it as a, as a movie, I'm going to try writing it as a novel because okay. that is the finished product, right? The book yeah. that you write, obviously it goes through an editorial process, um, but you are ultimately the author of that product, yeah. that thing no matter that the what, audience yeah. will see much more so than in a film where really the, the director is really the author of the film mm. and again if they use your script great who knows i often i often tell people and people laugh when they hear the story because it seems preposterous but this is the daily reality of hollywood if stephen king wrote a novel and his publisher came back and said well stephen we love the new novel but we're not thrilled about the third act so we're going to sack you <laughs> and bring in john grisham to rewrite the third act <laughs> Uh, and maybe your name will end up in, on the book. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Mm. Uh, we'll see. That you, again, you laugh wow. because it's preposterous, that's right? And very, yet that's, very good that's the daily yeah, reality yeah. of working as a writer in Hollywood. Mm. And so the idea of running it as a book, I just there was a way to kind of tell a story that would not go through that filter, through that process. And at the end of this, when the book comes out, if people like it i can take all of the credit and if yeah. people hate it i will take all of the blame but there's I, but I, it's just it's 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 the product of one person as opposed to hundreds of person when you and don't get me wrong i love love working in hollywood and it's yeah. incredible i like to collaborate and it's an incredible amount of fun but i wanted to try something different yeah so i wrote this book called abomination it's kind of a fun um mix of historical fiction and fantasy in that it's set in England during the Dark Ages, during the reign of King Alfred the Great, but it's kind of an alternate version of history where monsters and magic okay. exist. Yeah. So it's a little bit kind of Game of Thrones, a little bit Viking invasion, and kind of I took history and fantasy and kind of mashed it all up, and it's really really fun, I think. Um, and <laughs> we'll see. I mean, the people, so you know, the people that have read it so far seem to really like it. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, so on Monday, this is going out on Friday, right? Yeah. On the Monday, you'll be able to go to a website called inkshares.com mm-hmm. and pre-order it. Uh-huh. And uh, I hope people will do that. It's We're doing it in kind of an interesting way in that it's going to be kind of crowdfunded in a sense. Okay. Inkshares is a company that um, I'm a big fan of crowdfunding and kind of the democratization of, of content in that yeah. it's no longer about a handful of gatekeepers that can say, well, this is what the audience is. This is what the market is going to be given to choose from. Yeah. If you look at YouTube, obviously, is like the market's decided who rises to the top and who's yeah. successful and what shows take off and so forth. Um, and uh, Kickstarter is obviously, if it weren't for Kickstarter, we wouldn't have the Oculus Rift. We wouldn't have all kinds of cool stuff yeah. that exists today. And Inkshares is kind of like Kickstarter for books in yeah. that we'll put it up there and you can pre-order the book and there's a certain number that they have to hit. And if enough people pre-order the book, it will go into full production and everyone okay, will get yeah. their copy. Yeah. Um, but if you go to Inkshares on Monday, you will get a signed limited edition hardcover and an ebook that comes with it for free. And it's all very cool. And that's my plug. Wow. Uh, that was a proper plug, wasn't that was it? That a good a plug, plug, yeah. That's good, yeah. And now normal service can be resumed. Excellent. So did you watch the Super Bowl? 
I watched oh my god I'm so you know what I've had the worst luck in my life with sporting events where like it's always the one where I'm like ah oh, I won't bother yeah it's like, a good one it was like oh my god That's did amazing, you see yeah. I ended up missing the best one yeah. like it was a few years ago it was like the best Wimbledon final ever and it was the only one that I missed yeah uh, so because I'm here in the UK of course the time's all off mm. typically on Super Bowl Sunday in the UK Sorry, in the US, where I live, especially on the West Coast, it's on in the middle of the afternoon, and yeah. you can sit and watch it, and that's your Sunday afternoon. Here, it didn't start until midnight. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I didn't really have a dog in the fight. I'm not. I'm, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan, mm. so I never really have to worry about the Super Bowl all that much. <laughs> um, but I've got a lot of friends uh, who are Seahawks fans because there's a lot of game. A lot of people that work at Microsoft and yeah. um, you know Bungie and places like that up there mm. uh, are big Seahawks fans, and I've got a lot of friends on the East Coast as well. Somebody yeah. said it's like Pax. Prime versus Pax East. It kind of is a little bit like that. Um, so I was like, you know, I was just kind of like, made the best team win. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit of an edge for the Seahawks because I feel, I feel like they're just a, a fun team. Yeah. Um, and I watched the first half and it was tied, right? 14, 14. Yes. I was like, okay, well, that's good. And then Katy Perry came on on the line. I was like, I, I just don't need yeah. it. But then it turns out that I didn't see it. I have to watch it on YouTube. Apparently, it was really, the halftime show was really fun and really, really good. good and yeah. People like the dancing sharks and all yeah. that stuff. Um, Missy Elliott came out and did like a 10 minute just Missy Elliott everyone was blown away by, by Missy Elliott yeah. and the other thing that bums me out in the UK is that you don't get any of the commercials yeah, that's really half annoying, the reason to yeah. watch, the, watch the game that's so, why you go to IGN because we put the commercials up as they're yeah. being broadcast you know you're doing a nice little <laughs> um, so I missed so I went back and I watched the highlights of course I, I wake up in the morning I turn on my phone and it's like a million times going oh my god can yeah, you believe what's happening I'm like oh I shouldn't have gone to sleep yeah. and I watched the highlights and of course it was very interesting uh, the game itself was fun to watch the Super we've been really really lucky with the Super Bowl in that almost all of them in the last 10 or 15 years have actually been really really great games yeah. either because they're really close or spectacular blowouts that are also fun to watch yeah. um, and I haven't seen any of the commercials yet because I, cause I've got to find time to kind of dial them up on YouTube and watch yeah, them separately. Exactly. But it sounded like it was a good, like the game was good. The commercials were kind of a weird mixed bag and mm. some of them are like real downers this year. And, yeah, mm. well, they released a lot of them before as well, which really... Nationwide was, really was the one, yeah. wasn't it? Nationwide, Nationwide was the one that really upset threw, have you, Did you see I've it? I've not watched it. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. scared because I've, I've got a daughter. I'm kind yeah. of scared to watch yeah. it. Well, I thought the Breaking Bad one, the one with uh, Brian Cranston, yeah. I thought that was disgusting. Like... I, I don't know like maybe Americans give over that I just thought it was really it always, it always kind of bothers me when things that I mean look this is the, we live in a commercial world yeah. I get it and everyone needs to earn a living of course but yeah like, for, like I don't know if you've seen it but there's a, there's a I can't remember what chocolate bar it is right. where they took uh, Audrey Hepburn and they kind of photoshopped from, her yeah. like a chocolate bar into her hand from like yeah. from I think it was from La Dolce Vita or one of the one of yeah. the films and I'm like what are you doing? Like these people are gonna be spinning in their graves. Like it's really oh, disrespectful. Yeah. And like if like if Brian Cranston and the people that own the rights to Walter White want to do that, yeah. more power to them. But I understand why it does leave a, a sour taste in some people's mouths. Well, have yeah. you seen those, the Liam Neeson um, Clash of Clans one was apparently quite entertaining. Oh, no, I didn't see that one. No. Have you seen those adverts in? The, maybe they're only in the UK with Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. Yes. Oh my god. So they're only here disgusting. in the UK, right? Yeah. It's actually really interesting to come to the UK and see like Kevin Bacon doing ads for oh, cell my god, phones. Yeah. Ask Kevin Harvey Bacon Kite, as well. Yeah, Harvey yeah. Kite doing Winston presumably Tarantino's getting some money from that right because he's not just You'd he's playing so. the character yeah. he's playing the wolf mm. and so and what's weird is you never see those commercials in the, in the same way that you know they do those deals where like they'll go to Japan to, to yeah, Japan yeah, yeah, and yeah. sell it's a fizzy Japan. drink yeah. Schwarzenegger but, in Japan but there's a very specific rule that those can't be shown in the US yeah. like yeah. it wasn't until I came to the UK a couple of years ago that I realised that over here George Clooney is as well known for Nespresso yeah. as he is anything oh, else yeah. in the US no yeah. one knows that it's really interesting 
Well, Lost in Translation was about that, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all about that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's weird to see Kevin Bacon <laughs> and, uh, and Harvey Keitel and, uh, yeah, all these I can of, sort I mean, of understand Kevin Bacon, but Harvey Keitel, you think, come on, mate. Harvey really? Keitel needs to feed his kids money, as much yeah. as the next guy. I guess so, yeah. So did you watch the trailers? I did, yeah. And what was your favourite of the Super Bowl movie trailers? <sighs> it was always going to be Jurassic World. That's yeah. always going to be, like... Now, the first trailer for that... Mm. Landed with a bit of a thud, didn't it? But well, this one has turned some more people around. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said. There's a lot in the trailers that have been shown that people can it can easily not like. I think because there's a lot of odd things being done, and a lot of different things being done from the films. But I don't know. I'm just I'm on board. It's, I know I love Jurassic Park. I love Chris Pratt, and I love Colin Trevorrow. And I think. I don't know. I think it's going to be a really and good. And there one. is basically goodwill for it, right? And when you a lot of times when people bring back like older <coughs> film series, yeah. like whether it be Terminator or mm. or whatever, there's, there's there's sometimes some cynicism about that. But yeah. people generally like are on board with the idea of a new Jurassic Park film. I found I it a so. bit underwhelming. I think part of the trouble was the CGI wasn't finished mm. uh, in a lot of scenes for that first trailer. And we did a comparison. We did a video on it yesterday, and it's amazing how different it is. You know, yeah. lots more dinosaurs, better looking dinosaurs. Entire backgrounds change, yeah. and it's yeah. just—it makes you, it gives you an insight into that. The process. same is true with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. You could see the evolution oh, yeah, of the CG yeah. through the trailer. They've got to show something, sure. But it's again, and, and and what you again, what you saw on Super Bowl Sunday, or mm. by the time it gets to the theatre, it'll be even better than I, that. I miss the exactly, days yeah. of, oh, and they still do it every now and then. But the the full on teaser though, the first oh, one yeah. being a teaser where it's no footage from the film, but they've created something totally. Yeah. I mean, the original Jurassic, oh, the Jurassic Park, Park one, it was, yeah. yeah, it was you know them. It was finding their, the their foot their footprint wasn't it? I remember. Like, and you have the water I remember. And thing, yeah. this is what, I mean, the, the the age of the internet is for the most part brilliant. Yeah. But there are some things that we lost. I remember, as I think it was ninety, whatever it was. I was it was a long time ago. I remember. Yeah. Going, well, I will tell you what it was. I went to see Highlander two, which for the most part I try to forget <laughs> about. But what I remember was so this is pre-internet. Yeah. You don't usually know like this is before. And now when you go to see a movie and the trailer comes up, the second it pops, I'm like, I know what this is because yeah. I've heard about it, read about it. I've probably seen the clips online. Yeah. It's like all information all the time, and there's no surprises anymore. It's and often hard, by the yeah. time you go, often by the time you go see a film, it just films like an assembly of all the clips that you've seen, but oh, with, yeah. with some filler in there. Yeah. And so like, it's so rare to go see a film completely dry, yeah. you know, completely clean. And uh, I remember going to see Highlander and this trailer came up and it was like this weird factory and they were assembling like these robot parts and I'm going what they, what is this and then you hear boom 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 I was like they're making a new Terminator I had no idea they're making <laughs> yeah, a new yeah. Terminator film and you see the head the road you can go it's one of the most famous it's teasers great, of all time yeah, remember yeah. this is a robot factory yeah. and then the guy steps out and it's Schwarzenegger and I remember just losing losing my I was like oh my god because I had no idea yeah. Yeah. but now of course like, like, like the new Terminator film now like it's all been dribbed and drabbed out as we go and people just aren't super excited as much as no. because like we knew we heard when it was announced we heard all the casting you hear every little thing from every fan site and by the yeah. time, the time the trailer comes out it almost feels like anticlimactic well, my, yeah. I miss those days film crit Hulk who's a guy that I like to follow on Twitter yeah, he writes a good, lot of very yeah. intelligent stuff about film hmm. mentioned that he stopped watching trailers a couple of years ago he just won't watch them because yeah. you can make the choice not to watch them yeah. go yeah. into the theatre after the trailers have shown just don't click play on the button so I'm probably not you doing any, doing you any favors here. Yeah, <laughs> where yeah. you need your clicks. Yeah, um, <laughs> or we just did a 20 minute video about the two minute Fantastic Four trailer. That's <laughs> funny. But he mentioned that his life as a film goer and his appreciation and enjoyment of films got a lot better. Yeah. 
just going in and not knowing anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I sometimes shut my eyes. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. So I can hear what's being said, but I can't see the visuals. And that doesn't spoil it as much for me. Yeah. But I look weird. I look weird. If you look around, you see <laughs> me, I'm this. just like... Yeah. Um, but you can't help yourself, though. Like, when the Force Awakens trailer came out... Exactly. Yeah. Like, I was like, what? I'm just not going to click on it. I'd much rather just go in and see it cold as much mm, as the next yeah. guy. Um, and five seconds later, I was watching. Yeah. 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 I had no discipline well, at well, all. Well, my favourite of the Super Bowl teasers was the one that felt the most like a teaser. It was Tomorrowland, which is the new Brad Bird film, mm -hmm. and it's a it's it's shrouded in mystery. A bit they've like, done, and they've done a good job with a that. A bit yeah. like Super Eight. I think Super Eight was the last film that really tried to do that, where you right. really didn't know until you went in to see that movie what oh, yeah, it was about, good, yeah. and, and, and you know they they just put clues there, and it's a really nice little mm. teaser. Um, and I just like that mystery. I like having that mystery. There's a whole new world there. And, you know, you talked about earlier the fact that it was, you know, if you look down the list, I think 90% of these are sequels, yeah. you know, remakes. Tomorrowland's the one that's... Is there, in fact, an original... Apart from Tomorrowland, is there an original film on that list? Well, um... That's not? So you that's got a not? You've got a comedy called On Finished Business, okay. but that's kind okay, of separate. But look, okay, look, Fifty Shades of Grey, no. Ted 2, no. no. Pitch Perfect 2, no. Fury 7, no. Jurassic World, no. Seventh Son, no. Avengers 2, no. Divergent, no. Hot Tub Time Machine 2, no. Kingsman, no. Minions, no. Terminator, no. So two out of what? A dozen? Yeah. Remember what I was just saying? This is yep. the world we live yeah. in. Yeah. And it, but, but, Furious 7. <laughs> but for me, that was why it was the most exciting one, though, because, you know, I was just seeing a bit more Avengers. I'd seen footage before. We'd seen the yeah. first film. I just like seeing new stuff, and we just don't see nearly enough of it. Mm. Yeah, gets me down. It's hard. So what, the one that I, the one that I probably saw the most traffic on, like the people that got the most chatter, was Furious Seven because mm. they're driving cars between in, in yeah. between skyscrapers now, yeah. which surprised me because that was in the first trailer, that yeah. scene of the car going between the two buildings. But I, I want to know what scene that, that there. I'm like. I have to see the film because I just want to know the context for that. Like, how do they set that up? Exactly. How yeah. in the story do they get... Because this is often what happens in Hollywood. They will say, okay, we want a scene where Vin Diesel drives a car out of the window of one skyscraper yep. and crashes into another one. <laughs> now figure out how to get us there <laughs> yeah. in the script. And you'll have to, you'll have to like, figure it out. Just make it happen. I went yeah. to a Q&A with Jackie Chan uh, before Christmas and that was exactly what he was talking about. He said, I come up with the stunts the yeah. and then I tell I tell them and then they've got to write a story yeah. around it yeah <laughs> maybe that it's, is it's a lot of Hollywood filmmaking is done that way sure, Mission Impossible yeah. 2 was made that way where John Woo had like a half dozen set pieces that he knew he wanted yeah. Yeah. and the job of the writer is to just kind of like thread them all yeah. together yeah. And narratively and we're bonded as much about the locations right. we've got yeah. these five locations for this one let's let's write the story around them and the actual yeah. set pieces yeah absolutely there's a really famous Kevin Smith story where he talks about writing his Superman draft and he said no matter what in the third act there to has to be a giant, a giant spider, spider. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah so those were the teasers um any other news you you, you had a, I gave you a little bit of news Gav that was you kind did, of yeah. a bit off the wall <laughs> um <laughs> But I'd, I like, to, like, I'd like to get I'd like to get Gary's feedback on it. Uh -oh, okay, what is it? I'll it's read right, it in my best news voice. Is this is this going to is this something I don't know about? Is this no, no, no. It's me? not. It's just a wacky, okay. wacky right, story this week. Go on then. School suspends boy for threatening another boy with the one ring. <laughs> a Texas boy has been suspended from school for threatening to make his classmate disappear via the one ring from the fictional world of the Lord of the Rings. Aiden Stewart, a nine-year-old from Kerman Elementary School, was suspended for threatening another child with purported magic powers. According to Aiden's father, Jason, the Stewart family had just seen the Hobbit Battle of Five Armies the previous weekend, inspiring Aiden to bring a ring to school and tell a classmate that he was going to make him disappear by putting it on. I assure you my son lacks the magical powers necessary to threaten his friend's existence. Jason Stewart wrote in an email to the 
New York Daily News. If he did, I'm sure he'd bring him right back. Where did this happen? Because uh, I want to say Florida. Elementary. Where was it? Kermit Elementary. Kermit? Yeah. Where's Kermit Elementary? And where is, where, is this in the UK or in the US? No, this is in the States. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I well, think New York if you go into so, a school yeah. named after a Muppet, I think you're in trouble. You're in trouble from the start. You said it before me. That's just a wonderful little story, though, isn't it? it it's is nice. Good. Did you see the one the other day about the kid who got a bill for not showing up at another kid's that. birthday party? Yeah. It's awful. What, what has happened to the world? I know, it's terrible. But there I, was more to that story than met the eye, I heard, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, what? Uh, I think there'd been some agreement about payment or something. Oh, I don't know. Oh, right, that. Okay, not the... No, that one. one. No, yeah, yeah, no, that one. He really did have the one ring. That's what they've not mentioned there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he actually could have done it, so it actually was a real terrorist threat. The kid, the kid is called Harry Potter. He actually was carrying yeah. a weapon of mass destruction in his pocket. <laughs> uh, the other bit of news this week is, is Better Call Saul is finally okay. coming to Netflix. So we've got our review up already. We gave it 8.7 out of 10. Oh, really? Um, weirdly, it's, it's coming to Netflix in the States... The first two episodes on Sunday night. Yeah. And it's coming to the UK. The first episode, Monday morning, 7am. The second episode, Tuesday morning, 7am. What are they doing? Which makes it a kind of... It doesn't give you an easy point of entry, does it? Didn't they do Breaking Bad the same way, though, where it would show on... It would show in, on American television on Sunday night and it would be on UK ne- Netflix, Netflix the following morning. It was right? just the yeah, final yeah. series and it's why so many people I know actually signed up to Netflix. It's yeah. a brilliant Oh, it was a huge them. driver. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Because what happened was, it's interesting, if you, look, if you chart the audience of Breaking Bad you know, yeah. it starts very small and then because it's such a good show word yeah. starts to get out yeah. oh you got to watch Breaking Bad it's on yeah. Netflix and you see it go up and up and up to the point where by the time everyone had caught up on Netflix and mm. the, the, the breaks for the final season were just astronomical yeah what so, does it start on BBC Two over here and then it sort yeah, of it was one of those ones they away, shifted yeah. it around though it'd be 11pm on a Sunday exactly and, then, and they showed three episodes yeah, or something like that yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it was hard to grab a hold of yeah. but how do you feel about Better Call Saul because I know when they first announced it I thought I don't need this in my life yeah I don't I, don't I think I was saying to you the other day I, I've got sometimes with prequels just generally I have a bit of a problem with them I um I was a little bit cynical when I first heard about it because I think often the model in television is that once you make a hit, yeah. don't let it go. Yeah. It's why you often see the last film in a big franchise getting split into two because they just don't want to say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like did like did the Hobbit really need to be three films? Probably not. Duh, did the last maybe the last Harry Potter one did I don't know but like you know the last Twilight the last there's a reason why like the last Twilight film the last Harry Potter film the Hunger last Games. Insurgent Hunger mm. Games they're all going to be two films is because they know the gravy train is coming to an end and they want to just like extend yeah. it out for us you know why make a ton of money on one film when you can make twice as much money on two so it's a very commercial decision yeah. and you know I think creatively they'll I think all of these shows actually be good but you know there's there, there's a reason why there's going to be a Walking Dead spin-off show yeah. there's a reason why there's now a Breaking Bad spin-off show AMC has had which is the network that yeah. makes these shows in the United States has had tremendous success with uh, The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and Mad Men mm. and then they and then but the second generation of shows that they've tried has been no, very great, hit and yeah. miss so you can understand a little bit why they've gone back to the well and like while we try and find the next Breaking Bad yeah. Yeah. would you just make the next Breaking Bad for us please yeah. mm. Because um, I was a little bit cynical when I first heard it, because I'm looking at it from a I see what they've done there. They just yeah. don't want to let get this, let this go. But as we get closer to learning more about the show, and it actually does look like it's genuinely very good. Yeah. And I don't think Vince Gilligan, who's a guy I admire tremendously, mm. would have done it for any money yeah. if he didn't yeah. think there was a valid if there was a real show to be yeah. made. There. I think that's right. Yeah. So I, I I trust him. If Vince Gilligan tells me. This is a legitimate thing that Breaking Bad fans are going to love, and, it's, yeah. and there's a creative reason for this to exist. I trust.
trust and believe it. And I will watch it. And I have a strong suspicion it's going to be really good. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like he goes on a similar journey almost because at the start of this one, Saul Goodman is not the Saul that we meet in Breaking Bad. Right, okay. He's not quite, he's not dealing with as bad a people. He's not dealing with the darkness. Right. And so it's kind of watching his journey in the same way to Walter White, who starts out a very different man to yeah. the one he ends up as. That's interesting so, then, yeah, because I've sort of avoided everything about it for the same I reason I just well, thought actually. I couldn't be asked with it. And he's a great character. I mean, yeah, you're, you, you know, in the original character, Breaking yeah. Bad, you're always happy when Bob Odenkirk's on yeah, the screen. Yeah, right? definitely. He's a tremendous character. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, you know, you can imagine this just like as a, as a as episode, okay, the show is, here's this colourful, very shady. But yeah. actually, the thing I loved about Saul Goodman is that, he, you know, he comes in wearing the cheap, badly coordinated suit mm. and looks like the only lawyer that you can afford but the reality is he was actually really shrewd and a really sharp lawyer yeah. and you know very very good at what he did definitely yeah. um, and so the idea of that character and he's got all these kind of shady wacky clients like you can see that as like a Fox show yeah. but the, the version of this where you're taking a character that we already know and love and you know, I think they've probably done a very good. You know, everyone's into universe building these days. You know, yeah. Whether Marvel or whoever, that you know, they've obviously got five years of Breaking Bad that they can refer to. And you yeah. know, Mike's obviously back as well. Yeah. And oh, yeah, and I suspect that him, down yeah. the li- down the line, you know, Brian Cranston and 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 Aaron will show up as well. Mm. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be. And again, it's purely because I always look at well, who's doing it. Yeah. If Vince Gilligan had said no and they and they bust in some other crew to do it, I'd be very very cynical about it. Yeah. But given that it is Vince who you know, and again, Breaking Bad is probably the best television program of this generation. Mm. Did you watch the the finale of it? I was like, I can't remember when I was so on the edge of my seat and I was so. Yeah sad to see it go because it was such a great show but also mm. kind of relieved because I got to a point where I almost didn't look forward to watching it every week because that last season was so yeah. stressful yeah. Um, it was a masterpiece of television and, which is and- an event as well Breaking Bad was such a huge event like I watched it with the guys I work with we all got together in the big meeting room on a big screen and watched it all together and then sat around for just it was actually quite emotional it. because you remember it's a tremendous amount of uh, especially the last season being as good as it was mm. um just a tremendous amount of expectation and pressure for what that Huge. like how do you wrap yeah. that up and we've seen so many finales of shows yeah. that couldn't possibly live up to the hype mm. and at the end of it I need to go back and, and, and watch it another time but all I, I just watched it the one time that, that when it was on live and I remember sitting there thinking yeah they did it that's the yeah. right end to the mm. show they pulled it off and it's incredibly difficult to do that yeah I just heard an interview recently with Larry David saying why he won't do a finale to Curb Your Enthusiasm because he said people were so pissed off with Seinfeld. They had a bad experience with <laughs> Seinfeld. Said, he said, and he said to this day, I think we did all right. I think we, yeah. we, we wrapped it up in, in the way it should have wrapped up. But so many people are annoyed with me that sod it, I'm just not going to bother. You know, <laughs> I won't do it again. Yeah, Just do a lot, just to just say that was the last episode. Yeah. But not yeah. everything has to be some event where everyone says goodbye. Yeah. You know? yeah, in a narrative yeah. show, in a serialized show like Breaking Bad, obviously the story has to come to a conclusion. But in yeah. like an episodic... Um, it's really, really weird. I have one of my guilty pleasures used to be CSI Miami. Okay. And, you know, which is not a, a narr- not a serialized show. It's Case of the Week. Yeah. And they went, it's interesting when they went into um, the, what was, what proved to be their final season, they mm. didn't know if they were going to get picked up for another season or not. So they didn't know if they were making the series finale, the season finale or the series finale. That's good, isn't it? Um, and so they just, they, they kind of wrapped up just the way with like all the people from the CSI lab. Yeah. I can't believe we're talking about CSI Miami. <laughs> uh, but it is a good guilty pleasure show. We're just sitting around just like having a drink and everyone's happy. Yeah. And so they could go and make another season if they wanted to. Yeah. But if they didn't, that's, it's they all live happily well, yeah. ever after. Yeah. So they just left it. And it was just, it wasn't so much a, 
a finale as it was just the last episode. Yeah, they and didn't leave you hanging, but sometimes that's okay. Yeah, that's why I hope they do. If they do bring the X Files back, that's why I hope X Files is like it's like CSI Miami. Like it's a case, <laughs> it's a monster of the week episode every single week. And they don't bother with the overarching sort of conspiracy stuff, and it's just monster of the week every week. I feel like that's the thing now, though. Yeah. You've got to have this season Conspiracy. long yeah you've got to have something like that it's become more prevalent since X-Files than, than yeah, less isn't it maybe but that's my hope mm. we will see um, so Gary while we got you here I wanted to talk to you about writing how you broke into journalism and then how you've made this kind of transition through all these different forms of media as well like what's that journey been like I've been really 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 fortunate in that the the two things that I loved growing up as a kid I got to do them both professionally I had careers mm. in both uh, I grew up loving video games and I grew up loving films and um, I left school at 15 I hated school couldn't wait to get out mm. um, and the only thing I was ever good at or interested in at school was writing. English was the only thing I ever really enjoyed doing. Um, I was terrible at maths, terrible at everything. I forgot half this. I'd spent four years learning French and German. I can't, don't speak a word of it now. Yeah. And I can't remember any of it. So most of what I learned at school went to waste, but I was always very interested in English and I would do extra. I would write little short stories in school and got a reputation as a bit of an apple polisher for my English teacher because I did extra work just because I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. And then I couldn't wait to get out and I was playing video games uh, and I used to read Commodore User and Zap64 and these magazines that I used to enjoy. And I started writing my own game reviews and at 15 got an interview at Commodore User to go and be a, a, a freelance game reviewer for them. Mm. And went and I was literally doing my GCSEs in the morning and then going into Commodore User's office and writing game reviews in the afternoon. And awesome. as soon as I was done with my exams, I went and got, I had a staff job at Commodore User and then from there worked on a magazine called The One for 16-Bit Games and then Computer, computer Video Games, what later became CVG, mm -hmm. um, and worked for a long time in the game industry on in the UK. Uh, went to Future Publishing, helped launch the original UK version of PC Gamer, and then three years later when they launched an American version, they asked me to come out and kind of look after it. Oh, cool. And I did that um, partly because it seemed like it would be a fun thing to do, like a year in America, but also yeah. because I was secretly, like, my what I really wanted to do was write movies. And I thought, well, that will get me that much closer. closer. And because it's changed a little bit now, but when mm. I was a kid, it was the idea of writing the kind of stuff that I loved, like Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, even stupid shit like Knight Rider. Mm. You know, all the, I grew up on all the Glenn A. Larson shows, and I loved yeah. those shows. And just genre, just fun stuff. And I used to I used to read, you know, Douglas Adams and all kinds of science fiction growing up, and I loved all of it. And I wanted to do that. But beyond, like, Doctor Who and Blake 7, there's nothing like that on British. There's a weird kind of snobbery yeah. towards it, and still is today, I think. Like, Doctor Who is the number one show that the BBC has. It's their biggest, I think alongside Top Gear, is like their biggest global export. Yeah. But the reality is I think the people at the BBC are kind of embarrassed by it. They would much rather be making Wolf Hall and, you know, fancy costume dramas and, yeah. um, you know, what, what they consider real drama. And I think there's a weird institutional bias towards science fiction and fantasy and anything genre, anything that might actually entertain an audience is a weird kind of bias against it and so I thought well if I want to make the stuff that I want to make it's yeah. just not going to happen here in the UK I'd rather just go where that stuff is the norm mm. so I, I'll try and break into Hollywood and so going to America was like half of that and then 
I worked on a on a on a uh, the American version of Total Film magazine for a mm. while, and then what happened was in the year two thousand there was a big dot com crash, and a lot of my, the company I worked for lost a lot of money, laid a ton of people off, and I had I got some redundancy money, and I had about a year mm. uh, if I li- basically just lived on you know pot noodles for a year, I could and and like the cheapest lived as frugally as possible i could live for about a year without actually having to do any work like paid work that's the dream right there well it's, it's not quite as glad not quite as fun as you might imagine sitting around in your underpants eating pot noodles and trying to think of film ideas but i, I always said to myself when i was working in games magazines like mm. I, I would try to do the film thing as a sideline but I just, who has the time you don't get time now yeah. and then suddenly i've got all the time in the world so i was sitting around and I thought, okay, well, I had the ideas for films that I wanted to write, but I'd never actually sat down and really done it. Mm. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I wrote, over the course of a year, like, I think five or six different feature film scripts, just as kind of a learning, just like, I, I'm kind of much more of an autodidact than I am someone who, like, I don't learn very well from books right. or from being taught things. And I actually think there's a, there's a very um, uh, somewhat disingenuous culture of read this uh, teachers and books that promise to, to teach you the formula of writing a hit film yeah which is all bollocks a lot of it is nonsense no one knows the formula to write a hit film yeah. and if i and if they do trust me there's much more money to be made writing hit films than there is writing books about how to write hit films so um a lot of these people are complete charlatans and frauds and i always think that for me the best way to learn was just to absorb and consume by osmosis as much as possible so i would watched a lot of films anyway, read a lot of film scripts, which is, was hard to do back in the day because this is before the internet was fully what it is now and it yeah. was hard to find film scripts. Now it's really, really, one of the great advantages is it's really, really easy to go onto the web and find movie scripts of you know great movies. You can go find the scripts for all the Oscar movies this year. Like if your favorite, pick your favorite movie, you can go find it. You can find the script of the book. If you like, you can find yeah. all these scripts are out there. Um, and for me, I just read those. I was like, okay, look at what they do and basically try and learn from them. And so I read a lot of scripts and wrote a bunch of my own and each one was slightly less terrible than the last until I finally found, finally wrote one that was, I th- wouldn't be embarrassed to show someone. And I sent it off to a bunch of agents and managers, and you you, you can find lists that will sh- that will um, uh, resources that will give you lists of people that accept unsolicited queries. Okay. Like you can't just send your script to CAA; they will yeah. send it back to you unopened. They don't just accept scripts from anyone. But there are management companies and producers that are always on the lookout for new material and will read your script. Mm. And I sent it to a bunch of those, and uh, there was a management company that liked it and signed me as a writer. Yeah, and. Um, wrote another script after that which was the first thing that i kind of got optioned by a production company and then kind of jobbed around for a long time in the kind of the minor leagues of the film writing business just working with little films like there's a really bad uh jason statham jet lee film called war that i worked on okay. where i wrote some of the dialogue for that and like, i don't have a credit on the film or anything because <laughs> when you come in and like just fix little things you generally don't yeah. but i did some work on that got to hang out with statham he gave me a ride in the transporter car it was brilliant <laughs> yeah, that, was my best, that was my best story from working on that film that's um, worth it just yeah that. that was that was that was the, the mm. good thing that came out of it um and then i wrote eli as a spec and we sold that and then once you sell like an actual film to a studio and it gets someone like denzel washington attached suddenly all these doors that you didn't know existed before open to you and people want to come and talk to you about working on bigger films. Yeah. So from that, I got to work. I worked on the Warcraft movie. Uh, I worked on Akira, uh, which I don't think is ever going to be made, but Warner <laughs> Brothers just keeps trying to make. It's been like six writers on it since me. Yeah. Um, and I've worked on a bunch of other films. I did the Will Smith movie, After Earth. 
um, and then Star Wars. And I've been working on, you know, I've, I've also been doing the game stuff as, as well. It's been really, really interesting that not just kind of going from games and into films. Yeah. As I kind of transitioned from that, as someone who now is a film writer, but has a legitimate background in video games because they did it for 20 years. Yeah. Just as I was doing that, we were seeing, we talked about this earlier, kind of the maturity of games where now games are trying to figure out how to tell better stories. Yeah. And so someone coming from a games background who now works in storytelling, people would come to me and say, can you help us do this? So I, I've worked on a bunch of different video games. Um, most most well-known, probably the, the first season of The Walking Dead that Telltale did. Yeah. I was a story consultant on that and wrote one of the five episodes and that was really well received. That's a huge thing. Like everyone loved that. It was like top yeah, of Yeah, it was really list. kind of yeah. a watershed moment, I think, in people. Because mm. Telltale Games a few years ago used to be just kind of this scrappy little company that made yeah. like Strong Bad and Sam and Max games. And now they're one of the biggest developers. You know, they're exactly, doing Game yeah. of Thrones and Walking Dead and they're doing a Minecraft, you know, narrative yeah. game. And they're this, you know, suddenly they're this huge deal. And that was all off the success of the walking dead and what happened yeah. after that was a lot of game companies i think woke up to again we talked about this before like back in the day when a video game came out you go well the story's crappy but like who cares it's a video game yeah you can't get away with that anymore if no. you have a game that has a story and the story's no good you'll get dinged for that and rightly so because the expectation now for off the back of the work of companies like naughty dog and and bungie and bioware and telltale yeah has created a higher expectation for how good a story is told in a video game. Definitely, and when a yeah. story is crappy or a story is not there, you miss it now because yeah. we've played other games. And Journey's another, Journey's another game that does beautiful storytelling. Yeah. Um, so off the back of that, I ended up consulting on a lot of different video games. So it's actually kind of fun for me that I That's get to cool. do what I like to do now, but in yeah. a medium that I still... Because I still play all the games. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded answer to have you, what have, happened. Have you got any tips for aspiring screenwriters then? Um, you know, it's really interesting. You, you know, you were saying earlier, like you, there's always that question of like, how do you get into the games journalism business? And mm. it, there's no real way in. Like you don't go to games journalism school. You know, you just know a lot about games and love them. And hopefully you can write a little bit as well. Yeah. And, you know, you'd kind of learn the rest along the way. Um, and I think the same is true of film. Like you can, of course, go to film school. Worked for George Lucas, worked for Brian De Palma and, you know, Spielberg and all these great filmmakers. But for every filmmaker that I know working in the business who went to film school, I know another one who just kind of learned by doing and just made their own films in their back garden and, and just kind of did it their own yeah. way. So you, there's no, you know, route one into films. I, I think this is true with any kind of creative endeavor. I mean, J.K. Rowling just wrote, you know, sat in a train station and wrote the Harry Potter books and yeah. was rejected by like 30 different publishers. Can you imagine if you're one of the publishers that turned down Harry horrible, Potter? Wouldn't How do you ever live that down? Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to, there's a great website that has all the rejection letters from oh, wow. awesome. like, you know, the, like, the, like the record label that turned down U2 and the record label that turned down the Beatles. Like yeah, those, yeah. all those letters still exist. Like, That's the cool. like the famous one, of course, is you know, the Fred Astaire one. The Fred Astaire audition where the guy wrote, can't sing, can't dance. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he can't sing, can't act, can dance a little. Yeah. And that turned out to be Fred Astaire. So no one knows. Yeah, you know? uh, on that subject, I saw it the other day. John, John Cleese has it framed in his office, the letter saying, Faulty Towers didn't like the script. Oh, yeah, that's oh, like, yeah, just, terrible. It just yeah. isn't funny. Right. Yeah. That's what they said. So, you know, and that I think, I actually find that tr great solace when, because every writer goes, I think anyone in any creative field goes through this. You have that sense of like, you're not good enough and this is going to be terrible and everyone yeah. hates you. Um, you're going to lose, like the Joe Hallenbeck mantra. And it's especially true in writing. I went at the beginning of my career, um, I was very fortunate to um, 
meet with and spend a day with Frank Darabont, who's a writing hero of mine. Yeah. And I told I was like I was just getting started. I hadn't sold anything, and he very kindly. It was really weird. What happened was like some he had done the mist, I think, and. Um, on a message, I don't. I didn't really go on message boards anymore, but I used to back in the day. Yeah, and I was actually um, just looking to see your NeoGaf post about uh, the Star Wars trailers. Uh, you trainers, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, like, yeah. I've basically given all. Again, it's, it's weird. You can't really be a professional and go on NeoGaf. And, and do, like, you don't see, you know, Simon Kinberg and David Benioff <laughs> and you know Ryan Johnson hanging out on message boards very much yeah. because you kind of have to put that away when you go become a Definitely, professional. Yeah, you can't. I mean, there are Aaron Sorkin used to go on and like get into flame wars with with people, <laughs> and so you know, if you more power to you. But like for me, it just became like I just, I just I, and, and again, who has the time? Yeah. Um. But so I used to be on I used to be on this film message board and and people. Were kind of ragging on um, the mist, and yeah. I wrote back and said, uh, "My comment was like, but this is the guy who made the Shawshank. Like, you can't really give Frank Darabont too much, even if he made a film that's not that great. Yeah, um, this is like you. If you made made just one film that great, you're good forever. forever like someone, yeah. like someone did a thing the other day on on one of the websites that was." Um, if you look at all all of George Lucas, all of, all of Lucas films, other films yeah. other than Star Wars and Indiana Jones, they're not really that great. Like Willow, mm. Radio Land Murders, Red yeah. Tails, and like there aren't really many other like really great films that yeah. Lucas film made. Okay, but I but I made the point. That's like saying what has Jonas Salk ever done besides cure polio? <laughs> like once you created Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you're pretty much you're right. good. For, like that, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to make anything. Else. You're pretty much good for the rest of your life. Yeah. You've contributed more than enough. Thank. And so I made the same point about the Shawshank Redemption, and then I got this weird private message from Frank Darabont saying I don't post on that board but I do lurk and I just wanted to say I appreciated your comment thank you very much you must have thought it was a wind up no 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 it really it it genuinely was was, I can't remember he wrote something that I was like this is the the real guy now when you're a writer trying to break in you will jam your finger into any little crack that opens (laughs) and so I wrote back saying hey I really appreciate that I'm I'm an aspiring writer if you have any advice for me and he said come to my house and I'll talk to you about writing I was like this is brilliant so I went to Frank Darabont's Shit, house, and he was a lovely, lovely man. Yeah. And I sat with him for a bit. Um, and I remember saying to him, actually, no, I can't tell you that part because that's super secret. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I remember saying to him, uh, talking about the terror of the blank page. Like mm. when you're trying to sit down and create something and you look at the blank page, and that's when that voice starts up. You're terrible. You can't write. Everyone's going to hate this. Yeah. You're an imposter. Everyone's going to realize you're a fraud. And and he said, yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? And I was like, wait, hold on a minute. That You wrote The Shawshank Redemption. He was like, yeah, it never goes away. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what you've done. The next script that I sit down and write, I'll go through the exact same process. You're a fraud. People are going to realize that you just got lucky that one time. Yeah. And... It's, it's a real thing. It's called imposter syndrome. And I remember thinking, like, at the time, I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, that even the best and most accomplished people in the industry go through it. Yeah. Or it, that's kind of depressing to think no matter how much you accomplish, you'll always be haunted by that. But I actually think it's what keeps you honest. The fact Definitely. that the, the, the voice that's telling you you're going to suck and no one's going to like this next thing. Like, I've got this book coming out. This is, I promise I'm not playing, but they have this book coming out. And I'm terribly, terribly nervous about it because what if people don't like it? And you make yourself, every time you have a film, I went through this with Eli, I went through it with After Earth. I'm sure, it'll, you know, with Star Wars down the road, like every time you contributed to something creatively, yeah. you put yourself out there and you make yourself vulnerable in a way that you don't do in any other field. And I actually came to look at my years as a critic very differently because yeah. I have a very very once you've seen how the sausage is made and how much hard work goes into the creation of something, you I I, I came to have a very different view of like how criticism works Definitely, and I have very yeah. little time for the I have a, I have a lot of time for like informed criticism and I think that people that write 
good analysis of like films or games or whatever contribute something to the culture and they they help us come to a better understanding of the medium and they help make films better and yeah. games better but i have no time at all for like the drive-by snark of the internet where people just take kind of te- ch- take cheap pot so- shots at things and yeah. move on like when people say oh i could have made a better movie than that really honestly try it <laughs> even a real even a mediocre film is really really hard to make and it's yeah. actually a minor miracle when a good film is made it's really really hard um and so that idea that that never goes away is what keeps you honest. And I've been to writing conventions and the people that come up to me and like, oh, I've written this thing, but like, I don't know if it's any good. I'm like, you're, it, there's a good chance it is good because the fact that you've got that voice at the back of your head constantly telling you it's not good yeah. is what's making you work harder. It's when the guy comes up to you and says, I've written a script and this is the dog's bollocks and it, you don't need to change a word of it. It's the best script I've ever written. I guarantee you that script is probably crap and that guy is not going to work in the business at all because... <laughs> He doesn't have that voice. Well, it, it, well it, it's also just the idea that one, I guarantee you once that once your script goes into the Hollywood system, it's going to get pulled apart, torn mm. apart. You're going to get 50 pages of notes. Yeah. And if you're not able to deal with that, as many writers aren't, you're not going to last five minutes in that yeah. business. So I'm still haunted by that idea of I'm terrible, I'm going to suck. But I think like uh, if you look at writers who are, I remember Russell T. Davis, a Doctor Who guy and most accomplished writers, when you look at um, Louis C.K., we just did a big interview about this, yeah. that everyone that you look up to, I want to be like that guy, we'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, we're all terrified of failure all the time. And that is, in fact, the thing that drives you to do your best work. Amazing. Mm. I don't know if I even, know, if I even answered the question there. I, wonder I if think such so, a tangent. No, yeah. I think that's good. One specific tip you gave to me, though, was to read unmade scripts. Yeah. Which I think is a really good idea mm. because I do find myself reading scripts, but because they're films you know and love, you know what's coming next, and so you're not thinking about it in those terms. Whereas I guess if you don't know, if it's something you've never read and never seen before, then yeah. you're thinking more about the structure and understanding more about what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's two ways to do it. I mean, I, um, I still need to send you that list, actually. It's uh, 25, isn't it? Yeah, so I have like 20, when people ask me, like, what would you recommend I read? Yeah. Like, because I want to be a screenwriter. Like, what books or whatever? I say, I say don't read books. Read scripts. Read, yeah. read what a good script is and you'll just hopefully through osmosis just learn what works and what doesn't yeah. and there's like a list I've got of like 20 scripts some of which have been made some of which haven't been made mm. um, oh yeah send that over to well, it's, it, well it's yeah. interesting to look at again you can read the scripts to a film that you've seen mm. and, and love and it's fascinating to look at the difference between what was on the page and then what was made but if you want to get a sense of like how a script really works, because again, a film, a, a script isn't the finished product. Mm. All it, it, it's a blueprint. It's it's meant to give you a sense of what the finished film can be. And in the course of 110, 120 pages and as few words as possible, yeah. you have to, for a director, for an actor, for all the people that are going to make the film, evoke and paint in their mind as much of a, as much of a picture of what the film is and can be yeah um and that's really really hard so watching a film and then reading the script is interesting but you won't the your reader the script is going to be prejudiced by the fact that you saw the film and whatever imagery like if you read the script to die hard that's a great script to read but you're going to see bruce willis running around in your head yeah um if you read the script like read a great unproduced script and there's a number of ones that i could recommend there's nothing for you to fall back on. Like, how, however much of the, the sense of a film, like you, a great script you're reading, you're like, you're, you're, you were like, I feel like I saw the movie. Yeah. But if you already saw the movie, you don't get a, a, a real way to get at that. But if you just read a great script for a film you haven't seen, and at the end of it, you're like, wow, that, that felt like watching the film. That's a great script. Okay. And those, and those are the ones that I would recommend that people read. Maybe as, a, maybe as an addendum to this, 
um, I'll come up with a list with some links and you can put it on the website and people can go click on links and read some pretty scripts. Yeah, really yeah good. that would be cool. Mm. Yeah. Great. Good stuff. Good advice there. Right, we should power through some of this now, Gav. Sorry, have I been going on? No, 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 it's good. No, it's been very interesting. But there's a couple of interesting uh, emails here. I have one from Colin Fares, um, again on the TV shows that he'd like to see come back. His first would be the Crystal Maze. I love if, the Crystal Maze, especially if Richard O'Brien came. It'd have back to be to host Richard it. O'Brien. He's another one that doesn't age, right? He doesn't get old. Yeah, yet. he's always looked like he that. He would be good. I, I, um, yeah, I would actually go back even further. Do you remember the Adventure Game? You're probably not old enough to remember that. Um, I don't. On I the, don't. The B- the, the, some of our older listeners will remember the Adventure Game. It used to be yeah. on like at tea time on the BBC. Okay. And the idea was like these celebrities of the time, like whoever was on Blue Peter mm. at the time or whatever, yeah. and like four other guys would get transported to this alien world and the alien culture it was great there was this whole narrative much like the crystal maze where this alien race they liked to test humans and they they liked to play games and and do puzzles and the the, the the idea was like could you solve all these puzzles it was very similar to the crystal maze but it's kind of a a precursor to it, but yeah, I'd love to see both of those come back. And Nightmare yeah. is another suggestion that he says. Nightmare um, was another show like that, right? Exactly like that. Has that has sort of come back in the last couple of years. Yeah, they've so done it live on yeah. stage in London, which I went to see. But yeah, but with modern day effects, mm. as Colin says, they'd look great. He's yeah. also a big Stargate SG One fan, and he'd love to see that come back. I never yeah. really watched it, so I can't. Never really saw comment. it. Yeah, no. I've got a couple. So yeah, I've got uh, Green Wing, uh, which was uh, Tamsin Green, Seema Mangan. Yeah, really good comedy, and uh, yeah, it's really good to go watch those old comedies before like I, I I watch Big Train quite a lot and it's interesting going back and watching like Simon Pegg as like a 30 year old like being funny and things I think that's quite good that's a yep. good one um, have I got any more here I've got one from yep. uh, Aaron Sorkin's uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip which I actually really really Did liked you? yeah I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a Sorkin fanboy yeah. in that even what's considered his worst work I still yeah. think it's better than most of what was on exactly, television yeah. the Steve Jobs scripts that he wrote is fantastic oh, wow, it's yeah. the best thing I've read really? in, in a re- again it's all about like scripts where you read the script and you feel like you've seen the movie yeah unbelievable yeah okay that's fantastic the first picture of that dropped online today actually from, oh it did it was, it was an unofficial mm. one but it okay, was interesting yeah. to see what they look like I'm yeah. very interested to see that film yeah. yeah definitely but yeah I thought Studio 60 was uh, was a really really good show um, and it has a, hot, it has a couple of absolute stinker episodes mm. um, but it had a really really good ending unfortunately I found um, it a bit too melodramatic like it's know. really heavy-handed. Like I think you know, Sorkin gets criticised a lot because he has like certain rhythms and tricks that he uses over and over in each show. You know, it's like, yep. oh, okay, there's there's that episode again. Yeah, and yeah. There's really a, certain, d- certain things that he likes to revisit. But I just find again, like when The West Wing was at its best, it was better than anything else sure, on television. Yeah. Yep. He's amazing. Uh, that's quite a lengthy defence of Mrs. Well, Brown's boys. Yeah. I'm not sure if you want to read it I or do, not. I, do, I saw that you put Mrs. Brown's boys, and I'm just saying I'm just not even going to read it. But I think it should be allowed that someone should defend it because we've slated it. And I did say they were, it's the most popular sitcom in the UK right now. I've never never even I seen it, but it's, it's very it's very it's very popular, right? Yeah, Sorry, Carl Barrett, who uh, who sent us that uh, impassioned defence. Yeah. Um, but finally, this is quite interesting. Actually, this is a totally different subject. Mm. This is from. Uh, uh, Oh, what's he calling? He's called himself two different things here. Brian uh, Mack. Jiminy Jellicas. Okay. That's what he seems to want to be known as. Jiminy Jellicas, isn't that what uh, Fallout Boy says? It's um, Radioactive uh, Man Sidekick. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, then this is something I've had a couple of tweets about this as well. So uh, read Ghostbusters. Uh, Jiminy says, all the talk seems to be about females, etc., and whether you are sexist if you don't agree with it. I'd like to know your thoughts more on the reasoning behind the move by Sony. It doesn't make sense to me to move in a direction that a large part of the hardcore fans will feel alienated by. Do you think they aren't worried by the original fans' dislike and think that the success of Bridesmaid 
will attract enough fans, viewers to cover this loss. So I've seen people saying that they think that this move, having Paul Feig uh, write and direct it and have it all female, mm. means that they're just aiming the film at the bridesmaid audience. But I think that's, that's really wrong. not looking at the stuff he's done in the past, particularly yeah. Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Like, just because he's made a su- two successful films that have had women in the lead. Yeah. I don't have a problem with this at all. I, I think don't have it's... a problem with it at all because the original cast don't want to come back for it. One of them's dead. Bill yeah. Murray doesn't want to do it. Yeah. How else do you do it? Who would you cast? Yeah. Like, you go in a completely different way that then yeah, they can't be compared in the same way. If you've got a female cast, it can't be compared in the same way. It's got I, have to, I, have, I have to say, I have nothing but disdain for this for this attitude and this argument. That, when did it be... I mean, I guess it, it's just been this way forever, but I was yeah. going to say when did it become the norm? I guess it's always been the norm that the male is just considered the default and yeah. you have to flip a switch yeah. for it to become something else as exactly, opposed to just yeah. saying, well, it can be this it can be this or that at the beginning yeah. and what's funny, who do we want to put in this movie? It doesn't matter if they're male or female. Exactly. What yeah. makes it fresh? What makes it different? Like, because... Are you saying that because the original Ghostbusters was all male that alienates women? Like, women... Were didn't like the original Ghostbusters because exactly, it was yeah. all dudes. Yeah. Like it's absolutely nonsensical. We've got to, we've got to grow out of this. It's Definitely. pathetic. The only thing that I'm worried about is they're saying it's a reboot. I kind of wish it was in the same universe though, where I hope it this is. stuff yeah. happened in the 80s. I mean, we don't really know at this yeah. point, but I would like it to. This stuff have happened in the 80s, and this is what's happening now. And, yeah. You know, I, I would. I, I mean, again, who knows? I think Paul Feig is a genius, and yeah. and Geeks is a fantastic show. Yeah. Um, my instinct on it would be, yeah, like acknowledge. The, the films that were made and say that this is the next generation mm. and they're picking up where those guys left off yeah. I don't if it's a reboot I, I mm. mean who knows who um, knows all I know is these women are really funny as well yeah. and they're, exactly, they're yeah. mainly Saturday Night Live alumni like, just like the original guys just, like, just is, like the original which is yeah. great we've got one final piece of uh, okay. feedback from uh, a friend of yours uh, Wait, a friend of mine? Yes. I don't have, I don't have any friends. Uh, a friend of yours called David Upchurch. Oh, I know David. Well, I used to, yeah, yeah from back in the day. He's so, still a friend. So he's got, he's he's given us a story then, uh, which oh. we... <laughs> Go on. The story's fairly simple. Wait, did you tell David that I was going to be on the on the show? We did, yeah. Okay. Alex did. So you've stitched me up, basically. Alex did, yeah. Okay. Nothing to do with me. I'm just reading it. The story's fairly simple. Gaz and I with a crowd in the City Pride, as usual. So what's the City Pride? That's a pub that we used to drink in. It was right next door to EMAP, where we okay. used to work on the old 8-bit and 16-bit magazines. Yeah. Do you want us to do this story? Well, I don't know. Let's, I mean, I <laughs> Is the Star Wars what? quiz one that we sort of mentioned? Oh, no, that's fine. Okay. okay, good, good. That's what we put you at ease a little <laughs> that's bit. That's fine. Uh, and as usual, arguing about Star Wars, and we decided to have a Star Wars face-off SmackDown trivia challenge. Is that the official name I remember for it? it very well. It haunts yeah. me to this day. <laughs> so we took it in turns to ask each other questions, and after a long, bloody battle, I stumped him. Do you remember what the question was that he yes, stumped you with? The question was, what is Biggs's surname? Okay. And I didn't know. Because it's one of those things that you don't get. It's not in the films. Like yeah. You have to read the books exactly. and yeah, know yeah, all yeah. the ancillary material uh, to know that. And I didn't know it. And I, he finally got me. But I mean, you know, we we escalated. It started off like fairly easy and you get harder and harder as you go. Yeah. And eventually that's, yeah, he won. I, but I'd just like to say, if David wants a rematch, I guarantee you. <laughs> we'll host it on I this. guarantee you, you I would yeah. not lose today because I have upped my Star Wars game considerably <laughs> yeah. in the years since. Yeah. So um, I, when we when um, Gary comes back yeah, we'll for, get David in, in two years' time for the podcast, we'll do, we'll do a we'll Star do Wars quiz. Years ago, I've got to tell you this story because that one makes me look bad. I'll tell you a Star Wars story. It makes me <laughs> yeah. look good. Actually, it doesn't. It makes me look terrible, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so years ago, I uh, my girlfriend, I'm going back, jeez, oh, 15 years, but I've obviously been a Star Wars fan for much longer than that. And my girlfriend at the time knew that I was a big Star Wars fan. And for Christmas one year, 
um, I was visiting, it was the first time visiting her family. I spent Christmas at her family's house. And she had, they didn't know what, you know, it's like, what do we get Gary? We don't know what to buy, get him for Christmas. What does he like? She said, well, he likes Star Wars. So they bought me Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. Okay. And so, like, after dinner, it's like, you know, well, you got to get, let's get the board game out and we'll all play of course, it. yeah. And it's me and my girlfriend at the time and her parents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and like a lot of people sitting around playing. So we get out the game and we're, there's six of us playing and the questions are not super easy. And again, like, unless, like, to the average person, like the average man on the street who can tell you who Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker is, but mm. doesn't necessarily know the difference between an X-Wing and a Y-Wing, it was it, it was aimed at people that at least knew the difference between an X-Wing and a Y-Wing. Yeah. And so I was the last to go. We were around the table and everyone was like, what, how am I supposed to know what the emperor's name is? Like, because yeah. it's not in the films. And so they, so they went around, like, people increasingly saying, like, who knows this stuff? Like, who would know any of these questions? And it came to me, <laughs> and I ran the table and got all six cheeses and won the game in one turn because I knew Aww. every answer. And I, and I was so happy. And I remember looking up yeah. at my, at my poss- quite possibly at the time, future in laws that were all just looking at me and, like, just, just like, Disgust. Like not impressed at all. No, just like yeah, yeah. what? How? Like what have you done with your life that this is what you know? Like yeah. you shouldn't. Know, you shouldn't know this. Much. So they were kind of appalled, and the relationship went south very quickly after that. But yeah. um, that's my. That's my. I think that story makes me look good. Yeah. But to the average man in the street, they probably would not be impressed. No, I and I hope you weren't good. celebrating in their faces. And oh yeah, I was sort of like ah, <laughs> your face suckers. Like, cool. Flip the whole table over and <laughs> walked out. Dropped the mic. Yeah. So we're definitely some Star Wars trivia in two years. Time, I'll do it. I'll do a Star Wars. Was trivia rematch against pretty much anybody. Okay. Um, except well, except the guys at Lucasfilm, okay. whose job it is to know everything. Like, if you want to, there's a couple of guys who work at Lucasfilm who are like the keepers of the canon. Amazing. And like, if like, if you like, if there was like a life or death Star Wars pub trivia, yeah, and you needed like a ringer, yeah, did I you can, have you have access I can, to these I, can, guys. I can give you a couple oh, of names that would just blow everybody away. I think amazing. we should do a competition to find the ultimate Star Wars fan. Bring him in. Yeah, bring, bring him in. in. Take Gary, him yeah. Gary. Let's do it. Cool. Uh, finally, let's power through games and films yeah, sure. coming out this week. So, uh, Evolve is out next Tuesday. It's very oh, good. We, we did had a podcast on it last week. Yeah. So, if you want to hear more about that, go back to that. Um, Game of Thrones episode two is out. So right. It's one of the Telltale, Telltale. films. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and my favorite game that's out at the moment is called Gunman Clive 2. What's that? Uh, on 3DS. It's this little indie oh. game. Uh, Gunman Clive. You did it on the eShop? I uh, done, yeah. You can get it on that. I think it costs about £2.50. <laughs> uh, and it's just brilliant. And they it's are... the sequel to Gunman Clive. I That's assume. right, yeah. <laughs> Which has this amazing little, uh, amazing art style to it. There's more colours in this one. I think there was like two colours in the first one. Uh, and it just uses 3DS perfectly. And it's £2.50. Can't like, go wrong, can you? Yeah, exactly. It's less than a cup of coffee. Exactly. Uh, on the film side of things, if you've got kids, Shaun the Sheep is out, and I'm hearing very good things about the Shaun is the Sheep Is Iron Man movie. still as good as they were, like, in the classic days? Well, it's I been a so. while, hasn't it? Pirates was amazing. Yeah, oh, sorry, Pirates yeah, was really yeah. good. I believe this one is aimed a little bit younger. Okay. It might not mm. even have any human dialogue, a very little dialogue oh, in it. Right. So, yeah. But, yeah, hearing it's really good. Good. They're, they're very funny films. Like, the shorts they released on the 3DS, the Shaun the Sheep ones, were really, really funny. Like, yeah. good sort of, like, physical comedy Very film. funny. Yeah. Like, the spoof posters they've done have been quite funny. Really good, yeah. Yeah, they did a boyhood spoof poster where it was Shaun lying back and it was Baha mm. Hood. Wow. They did a big Hero Six one as well, which might have been Bar Hero Six, to be honest. They never, they it never, was really good. they never did anything better than the wrong trousers, though, did they? I mean, that, that was, was that is the yeah. pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah. I think still to Amazing this day. Stuff. Um, oh, so good. This week we've also got Selma coming out, which I've seen the Martin Luther King movie. Yeah. Very, very powerful. Really worth a watch. Uh, very upsetting, but two and a half Oscar's hours. time's got to be, isn't it? Yeah, two and a half hours though. That's really I learned a lot watching that movie. Okay. Uh, 
I don't know how much of it was true, but um, <laughs> the interview's finally coming out in the UK. Okay. It's getting a bit of a limited release, but oh, yeah. it disappeared from the UK schedule. Yeah. Uh, did you see that when it was... No, I haven't seen it, although it is on Netflix. It's, it's on just Netflix got added US, to Netflix, yeah. so when I, get, when I get back, I'll have a chance to see it. I mean, it's obviously very silly what happened with that film, and of course yeah. it ended up probably getting more attention than it would have. I think Definitely, it probably just yeah. would have came and went based on just the merits of the film it got more yeah. attention but I think it made less money because it was just on so few screens yes yeah. I mean I think Sony will end up losing money on it but yeah. I mean, it's obviously I, I thought it was kind of sad what happened mm. and, um, usually um, yeah. Big, yeah scary agree and I've seen it I mean it's it's quite funny yeah. it's not, not, not as funny as this is the end but yeah Enjoyable, and it just seems crazy that it, it caused all that. Yeah, and I guess the big one coming out this week is Jupiter Ascending, the new one from the Wachowski. No, that's embargoed until in, Monday, yeah. isn't it? People have seen it, but no one's talking about it yet. I, I saw a review today. I'm sure. Did you? Well, yeah, I haven't. Yeah. Seen, I haven't seen Little White Lies have put their up. If theirs up. I think. Okay. Yeah. We weren't invited to see it till <laughs> tomorrow, so I don't really know what to say. It's never yeah. a good sign when a film's put back a year and. Um, you're embargoed until the day before or something, but yeah, not good, we it? don't know. I like the Wachowskis. I hope it's good. It's just this is and this oh, is another so. thing. Talk, talk, going back to the idea mm. of like snark, and there is a terrible, there's a terrible kind of poisonous undercurrent of negativity on the internet yeah, these days. That I yeah. try to kind of stay away from, and it's really interesting that someone made this point the other day that there's a lot of people out there that almost seem to be rooting for that film to, to fail. fail. Yeah, yeah. And I, don't, like, I think when you root for a film to fail, you yeah. root for film to fail. Like, yeah. I don't get it. We just want to earn a bit how rare it is to see big, original science fiction films being made. Yeah. Chris Nolan and the Wachowskis are pretty much the only guys left that are able to kind of get a big, original science fiction films yeah. through the Hollywood system at a big budget and present big, brave ideas. I mean, look at what The Matrix... The Matrix is an incredible yeah. piece of filmmaking, and that was an original film that they struggled... In 99% of other alternate universes, that film never gets made. Yeah. So why in a world of, you know, sequels and remakes and reboots and adaptations where we're so desperately saying, why don't, can't we have more original films? That yeah. When one comes along, people just instantly just want to pile on. I don't understand the attitude yeah. at all. Yeah, no. If the it, film is no good, yeah, exactly. then fair enough. But we Fine. don't know that. I just don't it's, understand. Like, why wouldn't you... Why, again, why wouldn't your default attitude... Give it a chance, attitude, yeah. Why, if you're a film lover, yeah. why wouldn't your default mode to be hopeful and optimistic about every single film that comes out. Why, do, why wouldn't you hope that every single film that comes out is good, yeah. as opposed to just assuming it's going to be crap? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't understand just the attitude keep, at all. No. Keep an open mind, people. Yep. And shall we end it there? Let's do it. Um, On a positive note. <laughs> I want to thank Gary for coming in and spending all this time with us. Definitely, yeah. This has been yeah. an epically long podcast. Yeah. So I warned you it might. Back, back, in, back in the US where I do the tested podcast, they typically mm. run for like two to three hours. Yeah. But I don't think anyone will complain. It was all very interesting, nope. wasn't it? I've how long has it been? How, is it, has it been the, oh, bloody two hell. Da two days. Um, <laughs> what day is it? But Abomination, let's say that again. Oh, that's, yes. That's thank coming you, out pre-sale on February the 9th, I believe. Yes, yeah, so mm -hmm. this goes out on the Friday. So yeah. if you listen to this on the Friday or over the weekend, on the Monday... Monday, February 9th, yeah. uh, you'll be able to go to a website called inkshares.com, I-N-K-S-H-A-R-E-S. -S. Okay. Or you can follow me on Twitter, Gary Witter, G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. Or you can follow the hashtag Abomination, and all of those things will be... Uh, I'm, this, like I said, this t kind of sort of self-published, so there's no big publisher or studio on this one going out and doing all the or rattling the cages to yeah. get the word out. It's really just me. Yeah. So I'm kind of shamelessly promoting it guerrilla style as much as I can, which I'm very glad to be here today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, follow it. So go to Inkshares or follow me on Twitter or follow the hashtag Abomination and you will... Uh, 
be in a position to order the book. No, it's really good. So, okay, so let me, so I actually haven't told anyone this. This mm. is really cool. So this is what you'll see on Monday. So there's, it's a little bit crowdfunded, mm. but instead of like on Kickstarter, where you get like a million different options, like you can yeah. get like five pound, 10 pound or whatever, you can do all these different things. There's three different ways to do it. You can either buy an ebook just on its own, which I think is like eight, Dollars. I don't know what this is going to translate into. Yeah. Uh, or you can get a limited edition hardcover of the book that I will sign, which you can only get during the once those pre-orders close. You won't be able to get that anymore. And an ebook because shouldn't all books come with an ebook? I don't understand why mm, you don't yeah. get that automatically. Um, or if you want to be a bit nutty, you can spend a hundred dollars and get three copies of the book and an ebook and actually get your name in the book. We're going to take however many of those are available. Yeah. Once they're all done, I think it's like however many people can pre-order it. Mm. Uh, once it hits its crowdfunding number, whoever bought the book at that level, yeah. in the front or the back of the book, someone will get their name in the book. So that's oh, nice cool. as well. So nice. many options. Yeah. So it's by Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for giving us your time, Gary, and mm-hmm. chatting for such a long time. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Um, and thank you guys for listening and watching and next week I think we have another special guest we do but you know what I don't want to say it no. I, think me, people, clue. I think people should go and watch Rebel Base your Star Wars show because yes. they'll find out in there where they ooh I know who it is now I'm going to say that <laughs> why don't you do a clue why don't you do a clue um, yeah uh, much, like Mil- much like Mark Millar someone from the world of comics whose work I very much admire nice. excellent so uh, check out Rebel Base if you want to find out who it is or just tune in next week uh, but for now thank you for watching thank you cheerio yeah.